Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Man, I hope you're grateful for your mom. I mean, I'm so grateful my mom gave us the opportunity to follow Jesus. And uh, that's really what it's all about. I'm grateful for her, grateful for my mother-in-law, Juanita Bice, who helped my daughter, my, my daughter, my wife follow Jesus, right? And so if you ever see their names, Gwen Thomas or Juanita Bice on our feed, and they may be watching right now, happy Mother's Day, and grateful for, for you, grateful for my daughter, Sarah, and for her daughter, Eileen, and our daughter-in-law, Alessandra, and for her son, um, Oliver. So thank you for being here, thank you for celebrating with us, and thank you for being a part of our church. There are so many women who are critical in the life of our church, absolutely necessary for everything that we do. We, you know, God gave Adam the job of what? Managing his creation. Adam, you're supposed to take care. You're supposed to know all the animals. You're supposed to know my creation, and, and you're supposed to manage what I built here. And Adam say, oh, said, okay, I got it. I can do this all by myself, didn't he? No, he said, I need a helper. I need help with this. And there is this standard and this this male leadership in the Bible. There really is. And I believe it's throughout Scripture. I believe it's holy and godly that God's given the man the job to make sure that his job, his work gets done. But he has no ability to do it on his own, right? Because he can't be fruitful and multiply by himself. So God gave him an incredible woman, Eve. And throughout Scripture, we see strong and powerful and valuable women. And we believe and we preach and we teach and we try to display in our church the value of complementarianism, which means that there is two genders, right? There is only two, male and female. God created them, Genesis 1 and 2. But there is equality in terms of value, right? I love the women in our church that are so critical to what we do. Um, I love seeing Marissa Fitzpatrick lead worship. Praise God for you, for you, Marissa. They just turned 18, so you really are a grown-up now. Uh, thank you for that. I love Dot Bass, that she's one of the people I can call and say, Dot, what do we do? She's a personnel uh, expert. She's a very godly woman, grateful for her service on our personnel committee, grateful for Deb Shade as she leads our, one of our life groups, um, our women's life group, pastors those, those ladies. So grateful for her. So grateful for Shelly Templeton. She's now the provost of Palm Beach Atlantic University amazing, amazing, and she's our go-to. Anything about our school, I call Shelly, and she gets a lot of phone calls from me. Shelly, I don't know what to do. You need to understand that women in our church are so critical, so important. Uh, I'm so grateful that God has given them to us, and a woman in our church, just so you know, can, can serve in any capacity, uh, worship leader, they can teach. We don't like women to teach men for an extended period of time, but we want women to teach, we want women to serve on all of our committees and help us lead. There's only a couple things we don't let women do, and one of us be the lead pastor, because we believe in Scripture it's clear that God has called men to lead. Uh, we also don't let them be deacons, just because we believe that is scriptural and how God has called us. And you say, well, Steve, that's kind of archaic. That's kind of outdated. Don't you understand how our culture works? Well, I do understand how our culture works, but I also understand what God called us to be and do. Um, it has been abused, to be sure, right? 
And I want to tell you, before I get into this word, that, ladies, if you haven't had the joy of being with a man who is a godly man, to give you the opportunity to be all that God made you, I'm sorry for that, I hate that. So many times a woman has to step up and be what she doesn't even want to be at times. Single moms know all about this. My prayer is that you will know what it means to be a godly woman and have a godly man. Students, it's so important that that's what ladies, young girls, that's what you look for, a man who can be a godly man to help you flourish, help you be all that you can be. That's what we want to exemplify in our church. As we follow Jesus and as we um, lead others to follow Jesus, we want to exemplify what he has laid out in the scripture. Today we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 41, and appropriately on Mother's Day, we're talking about a very important woman in Scripture. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 36, it's always important to set the context of Scripture, to know what's before it, what's behind it, what is happening at this time. And we've been studying Acts, and we've seen that Jesus Christ has come, lived a perfect life. He's been crucified for us, buried, resurrected. He's ascended to be with the Father on high, but he has sent his Holy Spirit. And really the whole story of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit's activity and what the Holy Spirit does through his people, both male and female. And so we've seen the church explode with thousands of people responding. Then we've seen persecution that has literally spread the church around the known world, around the rim of the Mediterranean, if you will. And there's all these little churches have popped up of Jewish believers and at this point in Acts, we see Peter making kind of a tour, and he's, he's preached in several churches. And last week, we talked about him being in Lydda, and he has raised Aeneas from the, from the dead. I mean, Ray, he has healed him. And as he's in Lydda, this next story happens. So I'm going to read the story, and we're going to kind of go back and walk through it. But we want, I want to see the whole picture of Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 42. The word of the Lord says this. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was nearby, was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with, with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. What an amazing story. This is not Jesus. This is one of his disciples, Peter, being involved in a woman coming back to life. What is God saying to us through this passage of Scripture? Peter is on his way along the coast, and he doesn't know it yet, but he is about to welcome all peoples into the good news of Jesus Christ. 
not just Jews, but all Gentiles are about to be welcomed in in the coming verses, as we'll study in the coming weeks. It's an amazing thing. So let's look, beginning in verse 36, let's look at the story closely. Now Joppa, we talked about last week, is on the Mediterranean coast. It's a beautiful port, uh, not a real big place, but it's right next to Tel Aviv right now. And in Joppa, it says there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Now, Tabitha was the little girl on Bewitched. Important for you to know that. No, it's not at all. Never liked that show. Couldn't really happen. Not like the Westerns I enjoyed as a kid. Um, But Tabitha and Dorcas, which is the Greek form, Tabitha means gazelle. It's also, interestingly enough, the same word used in the Song of Solomon from my beloved. So when you would hear the word Tabitha, the name Tabitha, it would make you think of someone who was beloved. And as we study the life of Tabitha, we can see that she was worthy of that name. You know, some people just exude their name. You know, someone is named Happy or Grace, and you can just see the grace in their life and the excitement in their life. I love that. And this is true for Tabitha. So she's in Joppa, and she's a disciple. Now, for some of us, you may say, you know what? I thought disciples were only men. Not true, because disciple, we're trying to make disciples of all kinds of people. Now, sometimes in Scripture, when you see the word disciple, it does refer to the 12, the original 12. But in Acts, we see very early on, there's 120 disciples praying in this one room between the time of Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And there were many women there at the time. So women are disciples. I hope so, right? All of you who are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple. I want you to know that. Disciple isn't male or female. It's about following Jesus Christ. And so we have Tabitha, who is a disciple in the town of Joppa. And the Bible says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. Now, those two words, good works and acts of charity, mean that she actually did something. And in this case, she made something and she gave it away. She was very charitable. She was a very giving person. And we see in verse 39 that the widows stood beside Peter and were weeping, and they were showing the tunics and other garments that Dorcas made, or Tabitha made, while she was with them. I love this. Here she's died, and all of these widows are coming, and they're showing the great work that she did. Wearing some, probably just showing others, because a tunic was really kind of an undergarment. You think of that women as a slip. And men, it would be like a long t-shirt. But that's what you were kind of next to your skin. You had some undergarments, but the tunic was like a long, long slip or t-shirt. And she made those, and she also made overgarments or robes, the outer garment, which would be like a dress for ladies, like a robe for a man. And she made these for widows. Now, most of you probably know that in those days, a widow, if you were called a widow, known as a widow, you were someone who was in need, typically. Husband has died. Uh, Paul referred to these women as widows indeed, meaning those who didn't have support from their family. They're often the poorest, the neediest, 
the most likely to be outcasts in the culture were widows. And so Dorcas made them clothes. Now, honestly, for us, if we were to go home and look in your closet, how many sets of clothes would you have? Two? Thirty? A couple hundred? Most of us have more than one outfit. Now, as men, we're grateful pretty much blue, white shirt, blue pants. That's all you really need, right? Maybe some khakis, maybe a pair of jeans. It's easy. We don't need to figure out how things go together because everything in our closet pretty much goes together, right? We don't want to get involved in those questions because then invariably we'll walk around and wife and say, you're not going to wear that, are you? Because Jeff Fox always said, no, I was, just, I was just trying it out, giving it a test ride. I'm not going to wear it. I'm just going to wear it around here. But in those days... Clothing was precious. It was precious. Remember how they threw dice for the seamless garment that Jesus was wearing when he was arrested? It was valuable. Because they didn't have clothing stores, but more importantly, clothing mills. And cloth was hard to make, and it was often handmade from flax or wool that was grown. And these women actually made the clothes themselves from Yarn that was made from flax or wool. So you can imagine how long it would take to make one garment. So it was precious. It was expensive. And if you're a widow, you might not have literally enough money to buy the clothes that you need. It's interesting. When you think of clothes in the Bible, where does that story begin? Where does the story of clothes begin in the Bible? Well, it begins in Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? Remember, Adam and Eve didn't have clothes, didn't need clothes, didn't know they needed to be covered, didn't need to be covered, really, because there was no sin in their lot. But after they ate the forbidden fruit, you remember, they did what? They covered themselves with whatever leaves they could find, kind of a temporary covering that was going to rot and fade away. And Jesus said, how come you cover your... God says, how come, where have you been? Well, we were afraid we hid from you because we were naked. How come, how did you know you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit? Yes, we ate of the fruit. And you know the rest of the story. They began to die at that point. And there's a curse on the man, the woman, and the serpent. But there's a really obscure verse that says, and God fashioned clothes for them out of skins. I want you to get that picture because here's what's happening. They suddenly feel a need to be covered. Let me just ask you, all of you are wearing clothes this morning, so I'm pretty sure you woke up and said, I feel like I need to be covered. Thank God for that. Please continue to wear clothes. But get the picture. God in his grace sacrificed an animal to cover human sin. See, that's the beginning of clothing. I would submit to you that your desire to be covered stems from your desire to be covered spiritually as well. And see, here is this woman, Tabitha, making clothing to cover people And she's a disciple of Jesus. So I'm thinking, and I don't think it's much of a stretch to say, I'm thinking Tabitha probably said, you know, here's clothing to cover you. But let me tell you about a way for you to be covered completely. 
Because Jesus paid a price to cover your sin. And it's a permanent covering. Can you imagine how natural that conversation would be? It wouldn't be annoying. It wouldn't be forceful. It wouldn't be rude. It would be simple to say, listen, I just want you to know, I want you to have these clothes to cover you just as Jesus covered your sin. And I love the fact that, that they, 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 they came around her when she was dead and they were weeping and they were wearing and showing the coverings that they had and they were displaying the greatness of this woman that she helped them be covered. I've been to a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. And I feel like I can tell when the offspring come in, if it's an older person especially, who's covered and who's not. A lot of times there'll be a godly parent who's died. And you can tell as the children come in who's following Jesus and who's not. And the ones who are, this is just such an incredible testimony to the mom or the dad. They're following Jesus because of this person. Just They're displaying their covering, just as these women, these widows, are displaying their covering to Peter as Dorcas is laying there dead. Oh, I love that picture. I love that picture. So they lay her in an upper room, which starts to kind of set the expectancy that something's going to happen because, first give me that verse 37, please. Yeah, there's a sense of they lay her in an upper room. Now, they would have washed her. That would have been a normal thing. They may have even anointed her body. But they take her up to an upper room, which was not normal, because that would used to be on a house top. And you're really going to just, the person's only going to be not buried for a very brief time. But they lay her in an upper room, and there's kind of an anticipation that maybe something's going to happen. Like, maybe this person is going to be resurrected. And indeed, that's what they think, right? So it says they knew that Peter was nearby, and they were thinking for some reason they had the audacity to think that maybe God was going to bring her back to continue, to continue her work for an extended stay. That's incidentally the title of our message. That's what I'm trying to get across. There's an extended stay that she's going to have. Have you ever had an extended stay? I remember one time I was leading a trip in Colorado of church people on a ski trip about 20 years ago, and we were having a great time. But a couple, it was supposed to be a five-day trip, and about three days in, I got a call from the bus company that was supposed to take us to the airport. And they told me that they weren't coming. That's not good. I said, I have 27 people, I have plane tickets, and we've got to be picked up. They said, I'm sorry, but there's been an avalanche. And the, the highway is closed. And you, sir, are stuck in your resort on a mountain. So I explained that to the people. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth because some were hearing from grandparents who were taking care of their kids, and the grandparents had had enough. Amen, grandparents? There's only so many days you can do this. It's great for a while, but eventually giving them sugar catches up with you as well. So I had to call my boss, and I go, listen, um, bus company's not coming. We're going to be here, it looks like, another four days. I thought he was going to be upset. He goes, listen, you know what you can do? You can make the most of it. You're stuck. Enjoy it. And so that's what's about to happen to Dorcas. 
See, she has made the most of her life, but her stay is about to be extended. And that's what they're praying for. God, could you extend the stay of Tabitha so that we can continue to see her work happen and flourish and disciples be made through her? Can you just see how important she is? They're not praying for the resurrection of the male leader of this church, the pastor. They're praying for the, male, for the female who is making things happen within their midst. They're praying for an extended stay. I love that. Please come to us without delay. Verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them. And I, I just, you just wonder, what is Peter thinking? Well, everybody knew that there were, Elijah and Elisha had both brought people back from the dead in the Old Testament. Jesus had brought back three people that we know of, could have been more. And they're seeing Jesus still at work in the disciples. So maybe they're thinking he's going to do it. He could bring her back. This is going to be awesome. Maybe Peter starts to think, maybe I could. Who knows? So Peter goes with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood with him weeping and showing the tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Next verse, please. But Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed. I love the fact that he just knelt down and prayed, don't you? He's not making a show of this. He's not trying to show his greatness or do some massive incantation. All he says is, Tabitha, arise. Which incidentally, fun fact, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, he used the words, Talitha, arise, which means little child. It was so close that if you had heard both, you would think, this is very similar language, which which calls to mind that Jesus is at work through Peter. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And everyone fainted. No. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The life of Tabitha caused many more to follow Jesus. Let me ask you, what are you doing with your extended stay? You see, in reality, we're all dying, right? We're, none of us know that we're going to have tomorrow. None of us know that we're going to have the next moment. But our God has extended our stay. And he's told us, I have work for you to do. I think Dorcas probably used her ability to make clothes to share Jesus. Let me ask you, can you use your skill set to share Jesus? Can you use your skill set? Maybe you are a healthcare worker or someone who helps people in some way physically. You say, you know what? I'm helping care for your body, but there's going to be a time when you're going to have a new body. And I'm looking forward to that day. Maybe you're a carpenter saying, man, I build houses, but the reality is I'm looking forward to the day when there'll be an ultimate home that Jesus has made for me in heaven. I mean, it's so easy to, anything that you're doing to say, man, this is what we're doing here, but I, I think I look forward to the day when I can have what Jesus has for me. I can help you be healed, but there's an ultimate healing coming, right? 
think it's important for us to think of our work in that way. And even to think of your work around here at the church. You know, if you're a teacher, you're saying, I, I want to teach you, especially you want to teach children so that you can know this Jesus. You can grow up as a follower of Jesus. And I know that's how our moms raise our children around here. I, I want you to be raised up because the greatest, most precious treasure you can ever have is kids and grandkids who follow Jesus. Or if you're a part of the creative team, you are helping people say, I'm using the art that I have, the ability, the technical ability that I have in lighting or sound, music, live streaming, video. I'm using that because I, I want to display who Jesus is. Or if you're a host team member, you're helping people feel like they belong, feel like this is a place they can know Jesus. See, there's so many ways for us to say, I want to use my extended stay to help people be covered by Jesus. To help people be covered by Jesus. What are you doing with your extended stay? What are you doing? See, I want to encourage you to live in order to be missed. To live so that you will be missed. And not missed because you gave a bunch of money away without any kind of encouragement or growth, but rather that you live in a way so that people will remember the way that you help them know Jesus, the greatest treasure on earth. See, those are the people that are truly missed. I miss the people in my life that have already gone who helped me be a follower of Jesus, who were a great example who challenged me, who didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, but told me what I needed to hear, who were examples of doing things I wasn't ready to do, but I could learn to do by following them. See, sometimes as, as grown-ups or as parents, we're tempted to leave a legacy that honors us. What we want to do is leave a legacy that honors Jesus, right? That's our goal. That's a legacy that will last. People will forget whatever you gave them, but they won't forget if you connected them to Jesus. Some of you may say today, Steve, you know what? I've never been connected to Jesus. I'm not covered. And I do feel that spiritual nakedness, that vulnerability, I want to urge you today, you can be covered. You can be spiritually covered by Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on Calvary. You just have to say yes. It's like Jesus is standing there handing you a suit of clothes saying, this is your covering. This is your covering. I paid for this covering for you to be spiritually covered, for your sin to be covered, for your sin to be forgiven. I paid for this. Would you put this on? And you have to say yes to that. He won't force you to be covered. Today might be your day to say, Jesus, would you cover me? Would you cover me? I need you to cover me. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.